Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, we come before you now and ask you to join us here in this place this morning. And we trust that you have kept your promise and are here. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on earth. Uh, Traditionally, I only invoke this passage as an excuse. I use it when I forget something or to try to explain why I'm so disorganized. Oh, I'll say I've got my mind set on things above or on heavenly things, as the passage is sometimes translated. Now, in my defense, I'm only doing this as a joke, but when I came across this sentence As I read in preparation for this week's sermon, I realized that I haven't actually spent very much time thinking about what Paul actually means when he says this. And if we take it out of context, my joke actually seems to make some common sense, right? The things of God, the things above are way more important than the things below, the earthly things. And so those things up there are what we ought to be focused on. And if that leads us to miss some of the things down here or to care about them a little less, well, so be it. But I think we should look a little bit closer. Because it turns out that this distinction between the things above and the things below is actually pretty common in the Bible. And I think worth taking a few minutes to consider this morning. So I want to do a quick little survey of this idea in Scripture. Not an exhaustive survey, but I think a representative one. And I want to see if there's any good news for us in this admonition to focus on things above. What does setting our minds on things above say about us as people who live in this world? And what does it say about God and his son Jesus' saving work? For sinners. So the very first place my mind went when I began to think about the distinction between things above and things below was back to the Old Testament. I was immediately reminded of the book of Ecclesiastes and Solomon's repeated descriptions of life under the sun and how meaningless he found it. To borrow Paul's language from Colossians, Ecclesiastes seems to be written as Solomon's lament about the results of focusing on the things below. I saw all the deeds that are done under the sun, wrote Solomon, and see all is vanity and a chasing after wind. So I turned and gave my heart up to despair concerning all the toil of my labors under the sun. What do mortals get From all the toil and strain with which they toil under the sun. For all their days are full of pain and their work is a vexation. Even at night their minds do not rest. This also is vanity. 
So it seems that Solomon, too, would counsel us not to focus on things under the sun, things down here, but if we can, to focus on things above. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul makes this same distinction, but in a slightly different and more poetic way. As for prophecies, he writes, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So Paul is making a distinction between the now and the then, but you can see the parallel, right? The now are the things below, the then are the things above, and the important things are once again the things to come, the things above. And Jesus, too, gets at this idea in this parable in Luke chapter 12 about the man who stores up for himself barns full of grain and goods, only to have his life taken from him before he can enjoy them. Stop focusing on the things down here, the Bible seems to be shouting at us, and focus on the things up there. Don't set your mind on worldly things, but on heavenly things. These things down here won't last, but those things up there will. So is that it? Is that the teaching? Can I say amen and sit down? If it is, what about all the things down here? Aren't they important too? Are are we called to be somehow disconnected people? Eyes glazed over as we imagine the heavenly banquet while this world tears itself apart around us? It doesn't seem reasonable to only have your mind on heavenly things. I mean, some interaction with the world is required, isn't it? We actually have to live here in this place. And of course, the Bible has plenty to say about life down here. Indeed, even right here in our reading from Colossians, we just need to keep reading. This is often the case with the Bible, isn't it? If we just keep reading, we'll find the answers we need. I find this to be a a new rule that I keep returning to over and over again. If you're confused about what the Bible is saying, read more Bible. And when we read more Bible, we see that it cannot be true that Paul is telling us not to care about the things down here. I mean, listen to what he writes to those Colossians. First, yes, He tells them, and by extension us, to set our minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For we have died, and our lives are hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Okay. But then he immediately gives us things to do down here. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly. Fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of those, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. 
These are the ways that you also once followed when you were living that life. But now, down here, you must get rid of those things. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourself with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Okay. Put to death things like fornication, impurity and greed. Get rid of anger, wrath and malice. Don't lie to each other. Seems like Paul, in fact, has very clear ideas about life down here and how it ought to be. So which is it? Are we supposed to set our mind on things above or are we to focus on cleaning up our behavior down below? Well, and here's our key for this morning. Paul's actually not making that distinction. He's not drawing a circle around which things we ought to care about the things down here or the things up there, earthly things or heavenly things, he's actually teaching us about the proper order of things. He's showing us how to be people in this world down here. It's the same lesson that Solomon was teaching in Ecclesiastes and that Jesus is teaching in Luke. And here it is. Set your mind on heavenly things. So that when you are interacting with things below, you interact with them as resurrected people. In other words, you can only live down here if your mind is set on and has been renewed by the things up there. St. Paul reminds the Colossians that they have died. Their lives are hidden with Christ in God. They are new creations now. And so in the same way, and as a result, they are to put to death all the sinful desires of their flesh. Think about the profound reorientation that this suggests. Our natural default desire and custom is to approach the world molding it so that it will benefit us, right? To fill our barns or to increase our fame and power like the man in Jesus' parable or Solomon in Ecclesiastes. But now, because of this new life we have in Christ, we approach the world impacting it so that it will reflect the good news of God's already finished accomplishment in Jesus Christ. You hear the difference? We don't live in the world to get something. We are missionaries in the world called to give it something. Something that we have been given. To help us understand this, I want us to look at a particular example this morning. I want us to think about sex and marriage. Now, Sex and marriage is a good example for us, not only because it is a hugely contentious issue down here, but because it is also one of the major things that the Bible draws our attention to as symbolic of things up there. So, when Paul says, 
set your mind on things above, not on things below, is he saying, don't worry about sex and marriage. Set your mind on things above. Absolutely not. In fact, he is saying, set your mind on things above so that you can understand things like sex and marriage. Today, outside the church, sex certainly, and often even marriage, are fundamentally self-centered acts. You find a person who makes you feel good and who meets your needs. You are perhaps faithful to them, but only if the internal agreements between you require it, until you find someone who meets your needs more fully or who makes you feel even better. And perhaps if you're with this person for long enough, you might throw a huge party to celebrate yourselves. But even then, if the good feelings and satisfaction begin to wane, it's totally fair to wonder if maybe there isn't someone else who might make you feel a little better or meet your needs a little more fully. Because after all, as every celebrity tells us now, you have to look out for yourself first. This is a view that Paul would categorize as having its mind set on earthly things. Now, let me say something very clearly here. For those of us for whom this description hits close to home, for those of us who have fallen into sexual sin, from the internal lusts of our eyes and hearts to external adulterous affairs and everything in between, for us, there is forgiveness. There is redemption again and again and again. God's mercies are new every morning. Indeed, those mercies are the foundation and the lifeblood of a view of sex and marriage set on heavenly things, engaged in by resurrected people. So consider Christian marriage. A Christian marriage is itself a sermon to the world. Now, vocational singleness is a sermon to the world, too. A slightly different sermon, but a no less moving and Christ-centered one. Come to the worldview class this fall, I'll tell you all about it. But for our illustration this morning, consider Christian marriage. It's an illustration that Paul and Jesus both use. A Christian marriage preaches a message to the world about the gospel. Within it, sex, this incredibly intimate joining, is a sermon to this fallen world about what Jesus has accomplished. The reconciliation between men and women and the union between Christ and his church. Marriage is a sermon about forgiveness, about putting down the weapons of war and giving up the practice of looking out for yourself first. When Christian husbands and wives say, I love you, there is a giant, I forgive you within it. Every I love you contains an I forgive you and I need you to forgive me. So unlike a couple with its mind set on earthly things, Christian husbands and wives don't properly come to marriage to get something for themselves, like physical or emotional satisfaction. They come to marriage in order to say something about God. Specifically, how his love and forgiveness has borne them anew. 
and made it possible for them to so love another person. And of course, sex and marriage is just one area in which we see this working. In truth, every aspect of our lives is radically renovated by our death and rebirth in Christ. Our work, our other relationships, even our thoughts and feelings. Remember what St. Paul said. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So when Paul elsewhere commands us to flee sexual immorality, or to radically and self-sacrificially love our spouses, or to honor our father and mother, or to love our neighbor as ourselves, or any of the holy moral law, his command comes in light of an enabling word, an announcement that makes it possible, an announcement that, in fact, causes it to be. And the announcement is this. You are actually made new in Christ. You can't do these things on your own, but you are not on your own. And you are not your own. You are God's on account of Christ. Jesus died for you, was raised again for you, and in his name, you have been reborn. And so you interact with this world now, down here, forever changed by what God has accomplished for you in Jesus. Paul is reminding us to be the people we have been made into from up there. That's how this works. It is in setting your mind on things above that the world is remade because it is how you were remade. We read about this rebirth last week in Colossians chapter 2, the chapter right before our reading today. In him, Paul wrote, you also were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision by putting off the body of the flesh in circumcision with Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He wrote almost the exact same thing to the Ephesians. You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, you can see Paul cannot get away from this idea and desperately wants you to remember you were dead. But God made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. Set your mind on these heavenly things. You were dead in trespasses and sins. God, being rich in mercy, made you alive 
together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Now, with such a mind, remember that you have been made new. Stop scrounging for the fake sustenance of this world, physical pleasure and satisfaction. Instead, eat a new meal of bread and wine, Christ's body and blood broken and shed for you. Offer and present yourself to God, your soul and your body, to be a reasonable, holy, and living sacrifice. Set your mind on these heavenly things. You are not your own. You were bought with a price, the very life and righteousness of God's own Son, Jesus Christ. In him, and because of him, you who were dead are now alive. Amen.